Election College, Episode 204, John C. Calhoun, Part 1. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, I can't believe it. I was looking at the previous episodes of Election College, and I thought we had already done an episode or two about John Calhoun, and we haven't. We are horrible. It feels like we've talked about John C. Calhoun so much uh, in all the surrounding episodes that we've done, but somehow he alone has not received his due diligence or maybe not due diligence. He has not received his credit by getting an election college episode, which I know he's probably rolling over in his grave about right now. Yeah, he's pretty upset, I'm sure. And, you know, we've we've talked about this before. We've talked about Andy Jack. And uh, I'm actually in Nashville right now, believe it or not. So there's, yeah. a, there's a little Andy Jack vibe going on. You're just a world um, traveler. I, you know, people must think that. that well, I, I guess I kind of have been, haven't I? Yeah, Andy Jack, frightening. John C. Cal- Calhoun, oh my goodness. Like, he's got the, it's the hair, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, and maybe so, the, the furrowed brow that most of his portraits were painted with, too. Uh, I think he was, he looks like he could have been like a, a very nice man that you weren't scared of. Like, like in Home Alone, how he's scared of the neighbor, thinks he's scary, <laughs> but he's really actually a really nice guy. I have a feeling like that, that might have been kind of John C. Calhoun at points. Yeah, maybe at some points, unless you're a minority. But uh, we'll we'll get into that uh, a wee bit here in just a moment. What we do know about John C. Calhoun is quite a bit, so much that we are probably going to need to make this into two episodes. So hang on, everybody. John Caldwell Calhoun. He was born in the Abbeville District, or Abbeville County. It's funny how South Carolina had these districts and then it became a state and their county. So he was kind of the pride of Abbeville, South Carolina. He was born in March of 1782. He was the fourth child uh, of Patrick and Martha. And they were much like Andy Jack and his family of Scots Irish descent. So Ben, we kind of are of that descent. I know we've talked yeah. about that quite a bit, but uh, yeah. Kind of a a redneck background. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So they move to Virginia after Patrick passes away. And then shortly after that, they get a little concerned about attacks from the Indians uh, after the Battle of the Monongahela. So they moved to South Carolina in 1756. And Patrick, good old dad, is kind of an Indian fighter and... Uh, that's how he would have described himself and many of his friends and acquaintances I'm sure would have known him as that as well. Uh, he was also a farmer. He was a surveyor. He was a politician. He was part of the legislature in South Carolina. Uh, and he was also a Presbyterian and he was a pretty hardcore Presbyterian, uh, kind of fighting the Anglicans and 
and stuff like that. So you kind of start seeing where John C. Calhoun's beliefs were formed. And obviously we take things that our parents believe and oftentimes um, those end up being our beliefs in some capacity as well. And that's no different with John C. Calhoun. Yeah. So his dad dies uh, when he is 14 years old. Not his dad wasn't 14 years old. You got that, right? Yeah, I got that. John C. Calhoun. He's 14 years old, right? We're clear on that. So uh, that would be a little weird. Anyway, (laughs) Calhoun uh, takes over the family farm, and he's managing that, and he's studying really from home. He's uh, doing, doing the deal while managing the farm as well as uh, five other farms. And he's reading and hunting and fishing. And his family is like, whoa, this boy has got some brains. So his older brothers are like, hey, buddy, here's some money. Go up to New Haven, Connecticut, and go to Yale. So in 1802, he heads up I... What is that? I-95? Yeah. (laughs) Goes up I-95. Probably has a brand new convertible, right? Maybe a... He's probably riding a T-Bird. That's probably how his hair got that way. Definitely. And not not really, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sure it was a pretty rough journey. Back then, um, you didn't have the highways and some of the infrastructure. We'll discuss later on that might be a result of John C. Calhoun. Anyway, uh, he heads up to Connecticut, gets his education. He uh, is introduced to some different ideas about the way government should be and um, some challenges to Calvinism. And dare I say, he's introduced to some of these ideas. We've talked about this before up in New England, that states should be able to secede perhaps if they're in disagreement with the federal government. That's something I learned, Ben, in researching this podcast. I always thought, ah, John C. Calhoun, he came up with all these ideas that, you know, Southern state sovereignty and so on. But we've we've talked about that quite a bit where New England, that's those were the first states that were kind of harping on that kind of that deal of that federal meddling in our business. Yeah. Even before there was a federal to meddle, they were against it. They threw some tea in the harbor over it uh, at one point. So anyway, the uh, some of the folks at the school really kind of ticked Calhoun off, and Calhoun would fight back against those ideas. And like Jason mentioned, he was exposed to a lot of new ideas he'd never heard before, and it helped him kind of grow and change his beliefs and uh, refine them a little bit more as well. Uh, after he graduates from there, he actually graduated as a valedictorian. He, Jason, this is this is going to be a stunner for you. So I want you to hold on uh, to your seat. Okay. He goes to law school. Whoa! Yeah, a politician uh, in the 1800s goes to law school. I know it's weird, but that. he ends up getting into the South Carolina bar uh, a few years later, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. I guess you could say that's the end of the episode. He's a lawyer. Yep. That's it. Oh, yeah. Um, most good politicians who become lawyers, they get married, right? Not everyone. I suppose. But yeah. Yeah. And, of course, you're going to marry your cousin's kid. <laughs> and so <laughs> I had to look this up again, Ben, what yeah. a first cousin once removed was. 
It's amazing and, how many people have been you know, kind what, enough to like send us stuff and explain it to us all these times we ask about it. Yeah, I have to look it up every single time. But um, Floride um, Bono Colhoun was actually his first cousin once removed. So I looked it up, and that means that she was the kid of his cousin. Right. And his cousin was U.S. Senator John E. Calhoun, which I don't know if that is properly pronounced Calhoun or Calhoun or whatever, but I'm sure somebody was just like, I'm going to spell my name this way, and you're going to spell your name that way, and that's just the way it's going to be. It was probably um, one of those Ellis Island deals. I'm sure it was. We'll see if anybody dings us over that. (laughs) They have quite the time. Uh, They've got 10 children over the period of 18 years. And somewhere in there where he was going to college and going to law school and marrying his first cousin once removed, uh, he abandons his Calvinistic uh, Presbyterian beliefs and takes on more of the uh, thought of Unitarianism, which if anybody is familiar with early American history and Unitarianism, that was pretty much the belief set that like people like Thomas Jefferson and a lot of the New England people uh, might have ascribed to. Not too popular in the South. So like any good Southern politician who becomes influential in national politics in the day, he and his wife decide to attend an Episcopal church, which totally goes against that whole fighting against the aristocratic Anglican Episcopalian people. There's my little religious rabbit trail. (laughs) So right before he got married to his cousin's kid, he gets elected. <laughs> we're just going to harp on that the yeah. whole episode, aren't we? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sorry, but John C. Calhoun, although there are probably many ideas he had that I would agree with, I, there's just there's some stuff about him that we just can't forgive. So the least I could do is to make fun of him for marrying his cousin's kid. So I'm going to do that. Uh, <laughs> Calhoun gets elected to the House of Representatives in 18. 18- 10. And this is right around the time we've talked about, you know, Henry Clay a ton. We've talked about the Warhawks and all the different ideas that they came with. And yeah, so he's in with that group at around the same time. And he ends up being the chairman on the Committee of Foreign Affairs. And he is a guy who is kind of pushing this war agenda and really going forward on what we now know as the War of 1812, because as you remember, impressment and the British were still like provoking the Native Americans to, yeah, all that kind of stuff. We've got so many episodes about the War of 1812. You can go back and listen to those. Anyway, he's the one of the ones pushing that along pretty well. And he's uh, getting troops together, getting funds together, putting together logistics, et cetera, et cetera. And, he really is like one of the unsung champions of the start of the War of 1812. Yeah. So obviously the War of 1812 ends with a victory for, well, we'll let you decide who won the War of 1812. We're still jawing about that a little bit. But after the war, Calhoun is like, okay, we need to get our act together. 
with this whole federal government thing and how we're going to finance the military and so on. So he becomes uh, the Secretary of War because you, at this era, you want him to be your head of the War Department, right? I mean, he's frightening. (laughs) And so he uh, sets out to strengthen and centralize the War Department. And he saw that these more voluntary militia-type forces, it's just not the way you protect your country. So he decides that a professional military uh, force is essential. And by the time 1816 rolls around, he calls for building a navy and getting some steam frigates built and have a army that is at least going to protect American interests. So there are some other things that he does that really shows a desire for a strong federal government. He's all about calling for a national bank, because if you remember, the first the first bank of the United States, that charter expired, and the second bank of the United States had just been approved in 1816. So he's all about nationalism. John C. Calhoun was also quite the speaker. Uh, There were a lot of people who commented on his public speaking style and the way that he was very metered in the way, in the way he talked and also how when he talked one-on-one, it was a little more hesitant. He was a little more, maybe not actually unsure of himself, but what you would imagine someone being unsure of themselves sounding like. Whereas when he spoke in public or to a large crowd, it was as if all that interpersonal relationship kind of stuff disappeared and he was just able to speak very well. And so the fact that he was also a brain made him kind of a power force. Uh, he was able to really come out and uh, portray deep ideas in very eloquent ways and eloquent eloquent, eloquent ways. He was able to portray ideas in very (laughs) eloquent ways and uh, a lot of philosophical type stuff. And so that really helped out with getting a lot of the causes he stood for at the time. And those could be, you know, large or small uh, passed in the House of Representatives. In 1817, things are weird. And the War Department, again, is pretty bad. And Jason mentioned that Calhoun ends up taking the position of Secretary of War. What happened right before this was that four different guys were asked by President James Monroe, hey, do you want to get in on this? And they were like, no, not a chance. It's a mess. And John C. Calhoun's like, yeah, I'll fix it. No problem. Uh, That's fine. And so he gets in there and serves for uh, about seven or eight years. Probably one of the big legacies from Calhoun's time as the Secretary of the War Department would be this whole creation of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which was created in 1824. If you remember, there's a lot of struggle with what to do with Native Americans because, yeah, we got these treaties, right, with the Natives, and all seems well until, well we kind of decide to not uphold those treaties. 
And what are you going to do, especially in the eastern states, in the, the southeast, namely? And so what ends up happening is Calhoun comes up with the idea that, well, it's not a good idea for the United States to invade Florida, but Andy Jack, that's what he did. <laughs> and it seems like they should have some rights, but maybe not exactly the way the Native Americans would have seen it happening. And that could probably be best described by relocating these folks from where they lived to Western reservations. And they can go out there and they won't have any interference from the United States. So strike (laughs) (laughs) the Calhoun legacy right there. Hey, you know what, Ben? One really positive thing that happened this week to us was what's that jason we got we've been getting several reviews but there was one review in particular that um you can tell this person snl h one two three four five six this person does their due diligence and they listen to the podcast all the way to the end nice (laughs) because the review says i expect a happy dance well (laughs) Let me tell you, SNLH123456, we're doing the happy dance right now. Boop, boop. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. All right. This is, yeah. it's not as effective in a, in a, you know, an audible medium, but if you, if there was video, yeah. Yeah. It, it's happening. There's CNC music factory music happening in the background, the whole bit. Um, but what this kind person said was after 200 episodes, I finally decided to take the 65.897 seconds to leave a review for election college. Thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate the fact that you do listen to so many other history podcasts by people who are a lot smarter than us. (laughs) Um, but you're learning a few things from a couple of cousins around our little virtual kitty table here that's right and we really appreciate that for anybody else who i i must say that since episode 200 we put out where we were like hey seriously leave us a review please we're crying here uh that's not true <laughs> we have a great audience who has left us a ton of reviews but since then we've had a lot of reviews come in and we want that to keep going so thank you for the ones of you who have already done that for the ones of you who have not it's so easy it's so stinking easy to leave a review if you have an iphone there's an app already built in on it to leave a review with you just gotta click on it so please go ahead and do that it would again mean so much to us and seriously we get a report each day of where our podcast falls in the rankings and when we get a review or two in a day or two span we see those rankings bump way up and then we see our numbers for our listeners go up so it's always a lot of fun to see that go through yeah And um, this person also mentions the fact that you can interact with us on social media. So, bravo, SNLH123456, because you're absolutely right. So, give us a tweet, throw us a Facebook post right on our wall, what have you. We are at Election College on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And, yeah, most of the time, we're, we're right on it. Sometimes we miss a few, but... Jason, we, what, hap- we love you. what happens if SNL H123456 or whatever it was is like a stalker? What seems like they know a lot about us. Um, I'm sure if, that's not the case. If we disappear, you know SNLH whatever did it, but I'm sure that won't happen. 
but do know that we were doing the happy dance all the way. That's so end. true. That's true. Thanks, everybody, for listening. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.